One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We're back with the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast on the planet that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online and apps. In episode 78, we feature our opinions on the World Cup coverage from Telemundo and Fox Sports, as well as ESPN. What changes Fox has made this week that could be the turning point in their coverage of Copa Mundial. And most importantly, tons and tons of letters from you, the listeners. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined by my co-host Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, one week uh, in to the World Cup. Um, let, let's jump in right, right here, because this is going to be interesting, because uh, how many minutes or how much coverage of Fox uh, Fox's World Cup uh, campaign have you seen? Uh, very little. I, really, I listened to none. There have been times that in my office, the television has been turned on Fox, and, and I've uh, I, I've watched it for a few minutes before getting the television switched to Telemundo, but uh, basically zero. And uh, this, for me, too, is also, I mean, I've been watching Fox and Telemundo. I've been switching back and forth. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, I, this is the first World Cup I've watched this much Spanish-language uh, television of the World Cup. Uh, how about you? What about previous uh, years of... Uh, no, I never watched uh, Univision in the previous years. Now, right. I'm thinking maybe I, I should have, so I have a basis to compare Telemundo's coverage to, but at the time we had ESPN, who was really good. You know, going back to 2006, I probably should have tried it, but I didn't, uh, because uh, it was just old habit then to watch ESPN. Uh, but 10 and 14, ESPN's coverage was so good, there was no temptation to ever switch to Univision. Right. And just as, as in last week's podcast, too, we're going to talk about the, the positives uh, from Fox and Telemundo, as well as some of the negatives. Uh, so we're going to be uh, fair and balanced. But, Karthik, first question for me would be is, why aren't you watching Fox? Why are you watching Telemundo? Because Fox, leading into this World Cup, was very patronizing. They were very... Um, to me, basic in their analysis and, and everything I've heard from people. There's so many of you that listen to the show that that are in touch with me and have been messaging me in the last week complaining about Fox's coverage and have sort of reinforced this, this view. Uh, there's always the context of, of trying to uh, compare things to the U.S. national team or build up the U.S. national team. And then there was the um, the the campaign. And that's the only thing I can call it, because now we know it was, it was a paid campaign also to um, push American viewers towards supporting Mexico. Now, I will admit, I, I was very thrilled with Mexico's win over Germany. I was rooting for Mexico like any El Tri fan would, but that was against Germany. I'm not going to root for them against South Korea or Sweden. Um, you, you don't root for Germany unless you're German because they're uh, one of the big big teams in, in international football. So, um, But yeah, the, the patronizing attitude, I think that the low caliber of their analysts in their ability to break down things tactically, to understand... Uh, have broader perspectives about this sport than just viewing everything through the lens of of um, Americanism or insecurity, because a lot of U.S. soccer fans are insecure about the U.S.'s place in the global game and on the men's side. The women's side, obviously, the U.S. is, is fantastic and one of the leaders. But um, insecurity, and that, that comes through in the way Fox presents uh, everything they do, including their pregame shows for the UEFA Champions League. So Look, I my intention was to Fox, Chris, quite frankly. I, I just what ended up happening is the last few weeks to build up was so um, so disappointing and annoying to my sensibilities that Thursday of last week around the first day of the World Cup, 
And I decided, you know, I'm going to watch this match on Telemundo, the Russia-Saudi Arabia game. And the next morning, uh, as the World Cup really kicks off, right, and that was the day of Spain, Portugal, my, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to keep watching Telemundo. And, and I haven't stopped because they've been very good. And I've gotten the bumper program and analysis I needed in English from ESPN's array of programs, which I will admit have been a little hit or miss in terms of when they're on. But um, I've had no, no desire to watch Fox. Yeah, with, with commentators and studio analysts, um, it's different sto- strokes for different folks. I and mean, we all have our favorites and our preferred style of announcers and talent. Uh, but it's safe to say that there's been a tidal wave of, crit- of criticism pointed at Fox Sports uh, for the subpar analysis and subpar commentators. Uh, but none of us should really be surprised by any of this. We've seen this coming for months. Uh, for, for me personally, I started off with Fox, I think on Wednesday with the, the preview show. Uh, watched all day Thursday, all day Friday, and by uh, midday Saturday, uh, I think it was actually no, maybe it was it was Friday. No, 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 it was Saturday after the Argentina um, Iceland game, and with uh, John Strong's call at the end of the game uh, to say that uh, Iceland beats Argentina one-one. I was like, I was, I was so, fu- I was furious because I was like. That's a ridiculous thing to say, first of all. Uh, second of all, it puts all the talking points and exposure. It, it's all about him. It's all about Fox by him saying that. It got me really, really upset. So I posted on Twitter and said, asked the question, a rhetorical question really, is why would he say that? Why would he say that at uh, the culmination of, of a great game back and forth? Um, in terms of the atmosphere, one of the best atmospheres in the World Cup thus far with uh, I mean, the Icelandic supporters and the Argentinian supporters, why would he say that? And it was interesting because the feedback I got, and this is obviously mostly, mostly Americans, mostly American uh, soccer fans that are following World Soccer Talk on Twitter, probably about 75% of them said, oh, he's talking about... Uh, the USA England game when um, they had the the headline on on the front of the page on the New York Post I think it was uh, that said even uh, USA beats England one one so the vast majority of people myself included didn't know what he was referring to then we had probably about five or six people said like no 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 what he's referring to is uh, Harvard beat Yale or, or, or Yale beat Harvard whatever it was so it was a tie. And, and and the person, a couple, actually a few of the people on Twitter said, well, it's pretty much only f- people who are 50 years old, older, uh, 50 years or older that would understand that reference, which which I think that, that that's what it's back to. I think it's college a college football game. But to me, it was like, why would you say that? Why would you make it all about and, you rather than just summing up the game? It was just and, really ins- insane. And Chris, this is part of a narrative also that I think has been painted, not necessarily just by Fox, but by some... American soccer writers and commentators that Iceland is this massive Cinderella story, which they are. But Iceland has been good since 2013. They were very unlucky not to qualify for the 14 World Cup. They were the they they made the playoff. They got drawn with Croatia, who was really good at that point. Who's you know pretty good again now. Uh, so they lost in the playoff. 2016, they go to the Euros. They get out of the, they finish ahead of Portugal in, in the group. Portugal, the eventual champions. They beat England in the knockout stages. They just they bow out to the hosts, France. Uh, and then this qualifying cycle, they finish ahead of Croatia, who we just mentioned is very good. They finish ahead of Turkey, and they finish ahead of Ukraine. They are more accomplished in the last five or six years of international football than the United States is. Uh, but yet there has to be this story about this is painting them as this, this huge underdog, etc., which they are. But let's let's now have some broader perspectives on what they've accomplished over the course of the last five or six years and treat them as if they belong in this tournament. To me, that was patronizing again. Iceland beats Argentina. Well, you know, if you compare the qualifying process for both countries, Iceland's was cleaner, and they were in a group, like I said, with Croatia and Ukraine and Turkey. They had to make road trips to Istanbul and Kiev and Zagreb, which, by the way, for the U.S. fan, again, is tougher than going to these places in Conk and Calf. American fans complain about the U.S. having to go to in Central America and the Caribbean. Argentina made a mess out of qualifying and needed really miracles from Messi uh, to avoid being in that intercontinental playoff where they would have played uh, New Zealand. Um, or maybe they wouldn't have qualified at all, actually. So um, I, I didn't see this as a huge upset. Um, I would, it would have been an upset maybe if Iceland had won. 
the draw, I think that's probably that was probably the most likely result if you were objective about it coming into this tournament. Yeah, I mean, Iceland's a good team. I mean, they, they beat England yeah. in the um, well in the Euros. I mean, they're they're a good team. They're, they're, Portugal, right? And they got some good players. I mean, many of them we we know that are playing in in Europe and we see on television uh, every weekend. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was just a really dumb thing to say. So, in terms of the coverage, Kartik, um, World Cup tonight uh, with Fernando Fiore. Um, I mean, the, the the words you would use to to kind of. Uh, Oh gosh! Uh, attached with this would be things like uh, car crash, train wreck. I mean, absolutely horrible. I mean, this is an I mean, an awful idea to have him do a late night show. Uh, it's it's unwatchable. I, I've watched I've watched uh, I taped it last week. I missed the first night. Went back and watched it and just switched it off after about maybe twenty minutes. I've tuned in a few t- other times to tune in, and it's absolutely awful horrendous i'm not sure what they're thinking the best description i i've heard about this show and i have not watched a minute of it so i have to admit this is from uh, a colleague of mine who who uh compared it to men in blazers and said at least the men in blazers have some sort of shtick and some sort of train comedy routine and you and there's a clear disclaimer as to what it is versus this which is a, a bad imitation of men in blazers uh and it's ostensibly a highlight show or a wrap-up show of the day yeah. in the World Cup. So uh, just take that. I-, I thought that was a pretty good comparison. Yeah. Uh, take that for what it's Well, and there's another show too, and most of the uh, viewers, my, well, listeners, myself included, have not seen it. It's a show called uh, World Cup Match Day, I believe it's called. And uh, it, during the entire World Cup, it's going to air six times. So I think so far, I think it's aired two times. And I think it's, uh, maybe it's, uh, it's it's actually on tonight, on Thursday, as we record the podcast. And I think a few more times during the World Cup. So it's very spread out, very sporadic. And that show, I've had raving reviews. I, I haven't seen it. I, I've heard from several people that this is the best thing that they've got. And it's hosted by Ian Joy and has Kobe Jones on it. And I forgot the third person on it. But what it is, is kind of a deep dive analysis into into some of the talking points and, and the World Cup. And that's the one thing that we've been missing. I mean, to me, Ian Joy is invisible. He's in Russia. He's been hired to be a host. I guess he's hosting the show. Um, use him. I mean, bring him bring him in onto the set for as a studio uh, uh, analyst. Uh, have him be a rope reporter outside the stadium talking to some of the fans. I mean, this is one of Fox's probably best assets, and you're not even using him. So that's the second show. Um, and then you go into the studio analysis. And Kartik, I have to say, so up until, was it, I think, Saturday, probably half times, or half midday Saturday, I, I switched over to, to Telemundo. From, uh, from Saturday onwards, I've been watching Telemundo almost straight, except for now and again with Fox. But their studio analysis was absolutely awful. Uh, Gus Hiddink, uh, who's I'm sure a nice guy, uh, feels like it's my it's like a grandfather. Um, does not have a good command of the English language, um, and and also it's not very direct. So like Rob Stone asked him in one of the segments. So what do you think about this Belgium side? Looking at this starting lineup, what do you think? What do you see that, that comes out of it? And then he went on this whole tangent and didn't even answer the question. And I'm sure Rob, Rob Stone is probably pulling his hair out, going, okay, I'm giving these guys questions mm-hmm. and they're, they're not giving me back some salient answers that are going to, you mean, drive the, the conversation forward. Hernan Crespo can't even speak English that well, so it's very difficult to understand him. So he, he's pretty much been moved off the uh, studio analysis. We'll have to wait and see if Gus Hedding uh, comes back. He's had a nasty cough he sounds really sick um that hasn't helped things too just hearing coughing in the background and then you had uh kind of the rotating cast of uh, kelly smith who's been very good ian wright who's been very inconsistent at times he's been good but other times it just like look like he's there for a laugh um and then moises munoz who's been one of the best better ones um from fox <clears throat> but all in all it's it's been it's been half awful and now, Kartik, I have to ask you this question because I, I know in terms of who you like and some of the, the styles that you like. Uh, and you may have heard that in the last uh, 48 hours, Fox has brought in two brand new analysts uh, to replace uh, Lothar Mateus, 
who mysteriously didn't even show up uh, on set at all, even though he was billed as the the lead Fox foreign analyst. Uh, wasn't on the set for one minute, so who knows what happened there. Uh, Fox says it's due to schedule conflicts, which is kind of strange. But So the two people they've brought in, Clarence Seedorf and uh, Martin O'Neill, would those two guys make you switch and go back and give uh, Fox a chance? Maybe. Uh, Clarence Seedorf, I have a great deal of respect for. I've seen him as a pundit before on UK television. He's done pretty well. Uh, Martin O'Neill, I watched just last week on a, a clip from him on ITV uh, in the build-up to the World Cup with him uh, fighting with Cannavaro and uh, someone else uh, on set. But, you know, Martin O'Neill is a guy I like a lot. I mean, I, I think he's always been very blunt and direct, uh, and he has a lot of Brian Clough, who he played for, Nottingham Forest in him, which is why... Um, by the way, England didn't hire him when they should have hired him instead of Steve McLaren in 2006 after the 2006 World Cup. He's now coaching the Republic of Ireland, which is a national team in Europe I actually support. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm actually tempted to watch the, one of their studio shows by Noel O'Neill and Sadorf will be on at the same time. Uh, but the fact that they have to go and hire these two guys, both of whom have a pedigree, uh, and obviously as a player, Sadorf is one of the most decorated players in European football in the last uh 25 years, 20 or 25 years. Um, it speaks to me that they, um, for, for whatever pushback they may be giving people like you and I, Chris, and, and others who have been criticizing them, they know internally they have problems and that they have to mix it up and shake it up uh, during a tournament. I guess we give them some credit for doing that, but then it also tells us what were they doing in their prep for this tournament that we use since 2011, they had the rights, um, and they really went into overdrive in terms of prep for the tournament starting with the Confederations Cup uh, exactly 12 months ago in Russia. What, what, what was going on during those 12 months that they're having to make two uh, tactical changes, if you will, the equivalent of like the 20th minute of a match? You know, they, they used two of their three substitutions <laughs> in the first half of the first half. Yeah, it's a, it's a blessing in disguise that they don't have Lothar Mateus because I, I don't rate him as a good uh, pundit. Um, his English is not good. It's, it's very broken English. Yes, you can understand him, but uh, obviously it's not his first language. Uh, he's not that good of a pundit, and they've used him for, for the Confederations Cup. Um, they've used him before several times, so why? I don't know who's advising them on, on what towns are in. I understand that, Chris, in fairness. Not, not, sorry to cut you off, but he did manage the Russian national team. So I think... Yeah, but so, did, so, but so did Gus Hiddink. I'm not talking about Gus Hiddink. Oh, I'm talking about Lothar Mateus. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was just saying, like, like, as far as Lothar, Lothar, fantastic yeah, player, care. World Cup champion. I mean, as far as a footballer, a lot of respect for. But again, it's it's almost like they're going for the big names, going for the Hernan Crespos, Lothar Mateus, uh, and then maybe Gus Hiddink, they're probably thinking in terms of the Russian uh, angle. Um, but they're just going after big names and... We all know that these guys aren't good analysts. Maybe they pick Lothar Mateus to annoy Jurgen Klinsmann because they have a legendary feud, and, and we know that their narrative among uh, a lot of people so, in, uh, is just blame Klinsmann. So on Wednesday, so on Wednesday, the first day that they had Martin O'Neill, and um, I think Tuesday they had uh, Clarence Seedorf, but on Wednesday they had Clarence Seedorf and uh, Martin O'Neill on the, on the set together all day long. They were fantastic, really, really good. And, and, and now it's starting to make me think, okay, now I should probably start to watch Fox more. So for me, it's, it's, it's a turning point. Uh, Martin O'Neill is, is brilliant. He, he's, he's fantastic. He's argumentative, uh, but also yeah. he, will, he will debate you in a good way. And it's interesting, too, because Moises Munoz, who's been – one of Fox's better uh, analysts up, up until this point, uh, just because the, the others have been so poor, um, is now starting to not be as good because he doesn't seem to be, he's not used to having kind of uh, an argumentative uh, debate, which is very much a European style. I mean, they're not being, um, they're not trying to be negative. They're not trying to start a fight. They're just stating their opinions and they're pretty blunt about it. And uh, Moise Munoz seems to be taken aback and, and really doesn't seem to be used to kind of that type of back and forth or standing up for what he thinks, uh, even certain things. So anyway, so Martin O'Neill is fantastic. Clarence Seedorf is really good. Uh, and, but, the, but on Wednesday, though, Alexi Lalas wasn't on the set. He took, took a day off. So 
With Lalas on the set, it's a different dynamic. Um, I don't think it's as good. And actually, Wednesday without him, I, I didn't miss him one bit. So we're obviously not getting ESPN Lawless in this tournament. We're getting Fox Lawless because I thought coming into the tournament, well, you know, maybe Alexi broke the form where um, his analysis has never been too deep, right? You're not going to get the level of uh, Taylor Twom and Kyle Martino analysis you get from Alexi Lawless. He just doesn't view the game in that kind of very I, tactical way. I'm sure, I'm sure Lawless was, was on his debate uh, team in, in, in school, in high school or, or college. He's a good debater. I mean, and, yeah. and uh, but give him a big topic like Messi against Ronaldo, and he'll give you a hot take. He'll give you an opinion, but go into a deep dive analysis of uh, tactical setups, or you mean there he's very very lacking. Yeah. So what my point was that I think thought okay, if there's the right people around him, what happened at ESPN is you would have the right host and Bob Lee or Mike Tirico and have the Roberto Martinez's on set or the Michael Bollocks, someone who would push his buttons into giving a hot take, but a hot take that might, that was pretty useful and something that was memorable. Uh, but at Fox, there doesn't seem to be that, that, that personality. Now, maybe if he's on set with Sadorf and O'Neill, he has that, although he will, he, he will look incredibly weak in terms of his uh, able uh, ability to comprehend what's going on in the tournament compared to those two. That's the disadvantage, but the advantage is maybe you'll get more, um, more provocative and useful hot takes from Lawless, uh, as we at ESPN in every major tournament, because there would be someone on set next to him who would push that button properly. Yeah, yeah, d- definitely. No, no, I completely agree. It'll just be an interesting dynamic to see because because when Lawless is on the set, he's Rob Stone's go-to guy. I mean, he's kind of uh, in that power seat on the far right. Uh, Rob Stone's asking that first question to Lalas, um, which when Lalas wasn't there yesterday, it was uh, Sadov. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how they set up that that studio set, which which for the Thursday morning one, uh, the early morning for the, before the Denmark Australia, I missed it, so I didn't get a chance to watch it. But you, the listener, will will know uh, by the time you're listening to this how that's set up. But for me too, I mean, if, if Fox says, okay, you know, what I mean, this first week of the World Cup, let's just uh, forget about it. And start new with a second week based on this crew, just by bringing in Seedoff and Martin O'Neill, it's a completely different picture. It is so much better. There's still issues. Uh, Rob Stone, for whatever reason, is, seems to be fumbling a lot, uh, doesn't seem to be that comfortable on the set, uh, seems tired at times. Um, and even some of the, the pundits, too, on the set, they're, they're forgetting player names. Uh, there's a lot of ums and ahs. There's a lot of pauses. It's it's really I don't know if they're I don't know if it's lack of sleep. I don't know if it's lack the, of rotation maybe for Rob Stone. I mean, look, ESPN took three studio hosts to South Africa um, and took three studio hosts to Euro 2016. Um, and Mike Rigo had to leave in the middle because his contract was up. But they had Steve Bauer and. Uh, and Bob Lee the rest of the time. But they had three for much of the tournament. And uh, it seems like I haven't heard anything about uh, a Kate Abdo or an Ian Joy hosting except in sporadic moments. Yeah, Kate, um, Kate's been doing more uh, the last few days. Um, so it, it seems that she's definitely jumping in. But to me, I mean, bring in Ian Joy. I mean, that's somebody yeah. that can have that debate, ask those intelligent questions. I'm sure he's very fresh. I mean, has, has had lots of sleep, lots of rest. I've uh, been watching every game, I'm sure, um, in Russia, but it's hardly been used. So, you I mean, part of it probably is ego. Rob Stone wanting to be on the set as much as possible and wanting to be that, that main figure uh, and probably wouldn't want uh, Ian Joy to step in uh, for the chance that Ian Joy might do a better job and get more more of the limelight. Um, but that's that's how these, I think, hosts think uh, oftentimes. It's, it's very ego-driven. But uh, and I think the other, the other issue... Quite frankly, again, Chris, is the perspective, the broadening, broadening of perspective. And this comes from the top. This isn't the fault of – I know uh, people who listen to the show and, and interact with us on social media want to say, Lawless is a clown, Rob Stone's a clown, this one's a clown, that one's a clown. It appears that way on set. This comes from the top at Fox. I don't think Fox has drilled their talent and uh, on a broader global perspective of this sport, period compared to the way ESPN used to prepare their talent yeah. uh, for 2010 and 2014. And, and yeah. I had the pleasure and privilege of going to Bristol uh, in the lead-up 
2010 and 2014. You, you were with me in 2014 when we went up. I went up to 2010 as well, prior to the World Cup. And um, there was an institutional commitment at ESPN to drilling all their talent right down to low-level producers um, offset and all the backroom team about um, mass perspectives. And we've even gotten this more recently from our conversations with the likes of Taylor Twelman, who have said, if I'm broadcasting a U.S. versus Jamaica game, I better be informing the Jamaican fans as well. Mm -hmm. There has never been that thought process, in my opinion, at Fox. And it reflects in the coverage of the World Cup. So it, they have built this World Cup with their promotions around stars. Ronaldo, Messi, um, and whomever Neymar. else that they choose to Neymar, Salah, until he got injured, right? Mm -hmm. This has been their, their buildup, which is great when you're talking about that. But they do not have the, the wider world perspective in general, which is, again, I haven't watched them. But I'm hearing from so many of you that listen to the show who are complaining to me every single day, not, not just every single day, I'm getting text messages and DMs on the hour about Fox. And it's these sorts well, of things. Well, that's the thing, though, Kartik. Their best talent that Fox has is left back in Los Angeles. So they've got Jovan Kovarovsky, uh, who's, who's very worldly, who's, I mean, yep. knows the game inside and out. Uh, Played in a number of countries. Right. You've got Keith Costigan. You've got, uh, well, Ian Joy's in Russia, but hardly being used. Uh, you've got Eric Winalda, who's still under contract at Fox, uh, yeah. who has been not used at all for. I mean, well, we won't get into that, but 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 the, they have. To... We can, we, I think we kind of all know, right? <laughs> yeah. Why he's not used. Okay, go, go ahead. Right, but they've got talent that they that, that's under their umbrella um, that they have that they could say, hey, I mean, it's at this point it's probably too late, but th that they could have picked and said, okay, let's let's go for kind of a stronger, uh, you mean, knowledge. And have those guys, and then they're good communicators too. Um, but what they've gone for is the entertainment. They've gone for the the entertainers, the Rob Stones, the Alexi Lalases of the world, and and those types of people. Uh, Fernando Fiore is a perfect example. Wow. They've gone for the entertainers that are going to try to win over the the, the viewer. So that they've gone after the mainstream. Um, and meanwhile, the hardcore have freaked out and said, "Okay, I mean, most of the listeners." Myself included, you, you Kartik, most of us have gone to Telemundo. And then the Telemundo, Andres Cantor is, is a god. I mean, there's listening to a game with Andres Cantor commentating, and not even just the goal calls, but just the pacing of the game. I mean, just listening to him is hypnotic, absolutely incredible. And, and for anyone, there's no way that a, a John Strong, who is fantastic, or a Stuart Holden, who is very, very good, can compete when Andres Cantor is, is commentating. And I think myself included, probably a lot of the listeners, have fallen in love with the Telemundo coverage. I, can't, yeah. I, I don't understand a word they're saying during the analysis at halftime. I can look at the backdrops and, and look at the people that they're using, that they're bringing in to, to give their analysis. I don't speak or understand Spanish, so I'm, I'm watching a broadcast channel. I'm watching a channel that I don't understand one bit of Spanish, and I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, yeah, so it I, just goes to show how bad Fox's coverage is. Right. I, I understand a little more Spanish, so I'm really enjoying it. Uh, the one thing I will say, and then this, you know, Fox, it, it's one of the complaints I had about Fox. The one thing I will say is that Telemundo, it, hit, it was overkill before and after the Mexico game against Germany. <laughs> yeah. So um, they, 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 their objectivity and their worldliness gets checked at the door when Mexico plays. And yeah. uh, I think Contour is a reluctant participant in that. I, I, and that comes from above, but I, I'm considering watching Mexico South Korea on Fox just because of uh, that. But then I know the lawless <laughs> angle. I don't want to get too deep into it on this podcast. If you follow me on Twitter, you probably know I've reported some things about lawless and, and Landon Donovan and the whole Mexico uh, angle and the Wasserman agency, etc. cetera. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's just I guess you're not going to get objectivity when Mexico's playing uh, on either um, Telemundo or Fox, but in general, Telemundo has been fantastic. They're worldly. They, uh, the thing that I love about Contour is, okay, you would think on the Spanish broadcast network there's an emphasis on the, the teams in Spanish-speaking um, countries, which there is mm -hmm. when you get to the bumper program. But Contour, he knows uh, his P's and Q's about Croatia, about Denmark, about Japan, about uh, well, Senegal. Well, any, any, just, any of the teams. He just knows football. Right. Just knows football. Yeah. 
Let's get into that, Kartik, for just a minute, because, uh, I mean, one more thing about Telemundo is I've I've enjoyed watching the, um, when they have have the, from the studio in Miami, where it's almost like a a variety show, and they have kind of, uh, before the Panama game, they had uh, Panamanian dancers, they had, uh, I mean, just... New day show, right? Yeah, and that's... The way the dance show. Yeah, exactly. And it's entertaining to watch. Definitely. It's pretty interesting to watch that. Now, Kartik, you mentioned that you probably will give Fox a chance this weekend uh, for the South Korea-Mexico game. Now, unless Fox changes something, which they've changed a couple of the commentator assignments, the commentators for this uh, Saturday's game, this Mexico game, is going to be Jorge Perez Navarro and Mariano Trujillo. Would you listen to them or would you listen to... Which actually, I'll I'll check as as we're as you're talking. But uh, would you listen to Telemundo based on that? No, I think I'll listen to Telemundo based on that. Uh, that that's the other thing. I mean, if they're going to um, if they're going to push the L tree angle in English, uh, they might want to get better commentators or people who are uh, maybe perhaps even more objective about uh, the Mexican national team. So this this transitions to ESPN. If you've watched. SPNFC during the week. I mean, every day they have um, Seb Salazar and uh, Hercules Gomez from Russia on the show or, or on, on various sports center programs where they come on. They're remaining very objective and very grounded about El Tree and about Osorio and about um, uh, about just what their perspective is on the Mexican national team in this tournament, which, again, is kind of the culture of ESPN. And then those two guys, I mean, I think Sebastian Salazar is is arguably the best American soccer uh, presenter at this point, uh, who's American and is objective and, uh, and covers American soccer. But, um, you know, again, the, the problem is for Fox, and, and this is an issue, I guess, in general, uh, if ESPN weren't showing bumper programming, we may not be as critical of Fox. But when I watch an ESPN FC program, Stuart Robson's been on every single night during the World Cup, and, and also the, the three previous nights, the starting – Monday of the week that the World Cup began, so now almost two weeks straight in Bristol. Robson there, Burley there, um, Steve McManaman has been in and out, but he's done three or four shows. Obviously, Alejandro Moreno, Steve Nickel, we're comfortable with both of their analysis. Moreno has got much better in the five years that the show's been on air. ESPN FC and Dan Thomas always pushes the right buttons. You're getting the kind of analysis you do not get on Fox. Throw in the mixer Taylor Twelman, who and I think we all you know, we all feel is 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 our shining star as Americans um, in terms of, of uh, analysis. Throw in Taylor Twelman's very frequent appearances on ESPN's uh, mainstream sports show, SportsCenter, uh, Mike Greenberg's show in the morning, a um, couple of the other uh, uh, talking head shows they have, where he's giving in-depth tactical analysis about matches that you're not getting on Fox. And it, just, it makes it that much worse to, to think about Fox because perhaps if we the ESPN experience, Chris, was in the – distant rearview mirror, then um, we would just roll with what Fox is offering us, even if we don't like it. But for myself, and I know you haven't had this this opportunity because just because of schedules, but so many of the people I'm talking to are doing what I'm doing, watching ESPN Plus to see ESPN FC, and some nights it comes on ESPN2, and then trying to figure out when uh, Taylor Twelman is on SportsCenter. He's always on, on the Scott Van Pelt one, which is the 11 p.m., on weeknights, but right. whichever other shows he pops up on, you're getting that ESPN 2010-2014 Euro 2016 experience that you're not getting from Fox uh, in their broadcasts. Yeah, I, I'm probably one of the rare ones in the United States. That I, I know there's a lot of uh, families and a lot, a lot of people have ESPN on all day. That, that's that, that's kind of the yeah. backdrop. Uh, I don't have a ESPN on all day, all all day, and and I'm not a uh, ESPN Plus subscriber yet. I will be probably in the next month before the championship uh, season starts. So for me, I I would love to watch the ESPN um, uh, World Cup edition of Sports Center. The challenge I've had is the inconsistent times. I it's, it was supposed to be on at five thirty uh, Eastern time on ESPN two, and I tuned in probably about four or five times, and it wasn't on. I was like, well, forget that. And then um, I missed it Wednesday night. I was going to, going to watch it, and then something came up, and I missed it. So for me, it seems to be very random, and uh, and, I, and I don't have ESPN+, Plus, so I haven't watched one minute of it. Uh, I'm sure the coverage is very good. I'm sure it's much better than Fox. Uh, but unless they can get a consistent time, it's it's for me, it's it's useless, unfortunately. 
going back to the Korea-Mexico game this weekend, Kartik. So on Telemundo, it's going to be uh, Erasmo uh, Provenza and Viviana Villa. Uh, on the commentating, and then you got the Jorge Perez Navarro and Mariano uh, Trujillo. The, this, let's talk about commentators um, for a minute. And this is where probably most of the criticism has come in for Fox. Um, looking at all of the Fox different uh, commentator, commentator partnerships that they've had, the one that I would say has been the best so far, the most consistent, has been Mark Folliwell and Warren Barton. Which is a surprise because Warren Barton, up until a few months ago, was was just, I mean, oh gosh, pretty pretty bad. I mean, but the last few months of the UEFA Champions League uh, coverage, he's he's picked up his game. Uh, I'm not sure what happened. I mean, if he's been kind of analysing it a little bit better or, or or trying harder, but but Mark Folliwell and Warren Barton's the best one of of them all. I mean, John Strong and Stuart Holden are very good, but just if John Strong is going to p- start pulling out saying stupid stuff. Uh, that, that's a complete turn-off for me. Stuart Holden, it, it, no problems there for me. As far as the rest of the crew, it's all over the place. I mean, you would think that uh, Derek Ray and Ali Wagner would be a, a great partnership. Derek Ray, no problem at all. Still, I mean, world-class commentator. Ali Wagner's had some problems with uh, pronunciations of, of, of player names. Um, and Most people I've talked to, though, uh, that have watched Fox say that she's been the best analyst. Yeah, most people, well, most of the listeners or the feedback we've gotten, we've gotten some really negative feedback about her. Um, so going into the World Cup, I'd say, yeah, she is strong, but uh, there's been some... Uh, how how much pains. of that is just discomfort with having a woman on the mic, though? I mean, the, you know, I, I don't trust, that's, uh, that's I don't part trust of it. people's opinions when it's, when it's a woman because there's a lot of manliness uh, with some, a lot yeah. of chauvinism in the sport. That, that that's part of it too. Definitely, there's been some of that. But it, taking that out of uh, taking that out completely and not looking at that part of at all, just looking at the ones that have been more kind of just honest feedback. The honest feedback seems to be that um, mispronunciations of names uh, with, with a, uh, Deli, Deli Ali or uh, other players, um, some basic mistakes. So, but but let's let's, let's dive into that for a minute, though, Kartik. Because just some of the feedback from the listeners um, to the podcast. Um, Let's start off with uh, Stros fan, which I think is an uh, Astros fan, but a Stros fan. Uh, he says, Rob Stone seems clueless on what event he is covering. AJ Cabrera, his low has been preferring to watch the matches on mute due to the poor commentary. Uh, Frank Poultry says, uh, Tony Miola has been his low, trying to be Troy Aikman. <laughs> um Steve Stupka uh, through Facebook uh, says, uh, hey, I love the podcast. One comment on ESPN Plus. I don't mind the spoiler scores for games in progress, but I've made an effort not to watch uh, a game and want to catch the replay the next day. I don't want the score to be the first thing I see, at least uh, for 48 hours or so. It's okay to know who, who Luke's father is, but not to know who won the game the night before if you want to watch a replay. So that would be just talking about ESPN Plus in general. Yeah, and my, and my comment last week that I, I enjoyed the fact that, they, that with the MLS Live being integrated to ESPN Plus to give the scores, and I'm able to jump around knowing what's going on in each game when I when I select uh, when I when I'm on the main interface. But I I've, I put it, put it out there on Twitter, and a lot of people um, agree with Steve. They they'd rather not know the score, and they'd rather watch the game fresh uh, the next day on demand, which is a Something you get with ESPN Plus as well. I mean, the games are, are archived for, I'm not sure how long, but they're there for a few days at least. Uh, Jag post- posted this on uh, on the World Soccer Talk website. Uh, Dear Fox World Cup team, please, please, please show the game with stadium sound only, as I'm unable to tolerate the nonsense commentary. The only exception has been JP and Derek Ray. Uh, did you seriously uh, think that uh, providing the American sport terminology such as restart and turnover would actually qualify as a good job. Well, here's the news. Nowhere close. Just shut the commentary off and provide stadium sound. Tyler Dennis on Twitter says, uh, Kelly Smith has um, is such a better analyst than Alexi Lalas. After Lalas throws out his generalities, uh, Kane's price increasing and then fumbling thought, she steps in with quality points about Harry Kane's technical and, t- and tactical abilities. And then we've got uh, a couple of few more comments. Uh, Tim Keane. 
says, I watch mostly uh, Premier League coverage and some ESPN games and guess I've been spoiled by the commentators. Watching so far, I find the Perez, uh, Navarro and Trujillo combination extremely irritating and overwhelmingly biased towards the South American teams. Uh, Brett Engstrom says, I'm watching Denmark against Peru. Great broadcast, except they had to turn the volume down. Jorge Perez Navarro is awful on English broadcast. Please, no more. And then uh, Mike Camerata says, I listen to your podcast, and you're not a big fan of Fox commentators, nor am I. Fox has been good for the most part. Um, there's been two calls that stand out uh, to me. Number one, the Fox commentator that said that Iceland beat Argentina, which was a draw. Uh, number two, the goal by Costa, uh, about Diego, Costa, Diego Costa for Spain against Portugal, where VAR was used uh, for a possible interference by him on Pepe. Uh, the Fox commentator said there was definitely a foul, while ESPN called it right in that Pepe used uh, some theatrics when elbowed. And uh, last but not least, uh, SLC Runner says, I always love Chris and Kartik's banter. Best part of World Cup coverage post-game is ESPN FC. That we all agree. So that's the thing, Kartik. With the commentating, it's been all over the place. I mean, the Jorge Perez Navarro and Mariano Trujillo... Um, we knew what we would get, which is uh, in in sound bites. It's it's actually interesting. Um, their English has gotten better, but it's still pretty bad. So it's um, it's it's entertainment. It's it's really not commentary. Mar- Mariano Trujillo, um, I, I like a lot. He, he's you mean he seems seems authentic, seems genuine. He's just you mean sharing his thoughts. He, he seems like he's better in the studio though, right? Than as a co-commentator. Yeah, so so. I mean, he's he's. Um, I, I can't remember which one he he did recently in the studio, and uh, he was kind of he wasn't the greatest. I mean, so again, it's English is not his first language, so it doesn't come as naturally to him. And I think he was put on the spot and, and didn't do that well. But, but I don't know. He he seems okay. Uh, Perez Navarro is kind of a almost a Andres Cantor imitator uh, in some ways, but uh, in English and not as good. So. I don't know. It, 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 it is what it is with that one. But yeah. um, Tony Miola, <laughs> Tony Miola, um, I mean, the reference was from, uh, was it um, Frank Poultry saying that uh, he's like Troy Aikman? But uh, I mean, I, again, Tony seems like a nice guy. He's a great goal, goalkeeping legend. I mean, I have a lot of time for him. But as, I mean, that's supposed to be, I mean, that's only one of two guys from the co-commentators that are in Russia from Fox. And is he really the best, the second best? I, I don't think so. Uh, JP is JP. I think he's a little bit overrated. Um, but, I mean, he's, he's definitely good, but he's more of a radio commentator. So from the commentating side of things, it, it, it hasn't been good e- either. So and, it's uh, basically Falwell and, uh, and Ray have been good. Is, is, yeah, is what you're saying. yeah, on the lead commentators, and then Warren Barton. Yeah, and Warren Barton's been good on on the co-com, and Stuart Holden have been good, and um, that's about it. Yeah, Mark Followell has grown on me over the course of I guess now three years that he's been calling soccer. Uh, uh, originally a basketball announcer, I, I think he's quite good. But again, uh, like Derek Ray, let's get back to this. Follow Will and Derek Ray are in Los Angeles calling games off of the monitor. So as good as they are, they could be that much better if they were at the games. And um, the Nat sound that's turned down, there were a couple comments about that. This is something people are also complaining about, that they say when they watch Telemundo, they're hearing the natural sound piped in at the right level uh, to balance the commentators. What they're hearing on Fox is it turned all the way down? Now, again, I haven't watched Fox. I can't attest to this, but I've heard this from multiple people. Yeah, it almost sounds like with the when they have the commentators from Los Angeles, is they're trying to turn the natural sound up to try to get that balance where it feels like the, the commentators are actually at the stadium, even though they're in Los Angeles in, in a studio. Um, but it does sound different than the sound coming from kind of the commentators, like a John Strong or a JP at the stadium. But at, at the end of the day, to me, there's, there's three factors that have been turning me to Telemundo. One has been the, uh, the commentators, so Andres Cantor and, and, and the others. And then again, I, I don't understand what they're saying, but the commentating 
you mean sounds better it, it, it sounds more authentic um, the second thing would be the actual um, analysis and, and up until the first week in, on Fox it's been poor so I, I, I said okay forget that let me just switch over to Telemundo um, but the third thing is one of the most important things is that uh, Telemundo's games are about anywhere from 20 to 30 seconds ahead of Fox yeah. Okay, so let, let, let me say this, uh, Chris. Um, in my office, one of the days I asked for the TVs to be switched, we left one of the TVs on Fox and the other on Telemundo right next to each other. I would say it was 20 to 25 seconds ahead. I'm trying to remember which match this was. I want to say this was... Uh, uh, I know the opening game was like 30 seconds. Yeah, no, this was, this was more recently. This was on Monday. Uh, whichever match it was... Um, that it was 20 or 25 seconds, and they were right next to each other. And it was the same feed because it was the same, yeah. the very same angle you saw in Telemundo 20 seconds earlier you would see on Fox. So it wasn't that they had different camera angles or any of that. It was it was just behind. Yeah, yeah. So, so those are the three reasons that uh, Telemundo is better to watch. It sounds better. Um, the analysis is better. And it's, I mean, it's actually... 20 to 30 seconds ahead so you, you'll know who scores that goal 20 to seconds uh, before anyone on Fox is going to know it um, but having said that after all this bring in Clarence Seedoff and Martin O'Neill and it's got me watching Fox more and at least I'll give it I'll give, I'll give it more of a chance now Martin O'Neill also is working for ITV uh, Clarence Seedoff I believe is just uh, probably only for Fox so it all depends but in terms of the before, yeah, yeah, he's worked with the BBC before. So it all depends, I mean, how much they're going to be using these guys as well as, I mean, the rest of the crew. Um, so I'll, I'll give him another chance. I mean, this could be something that could win me back and, and, and have me watching Fox for the rest of the broadcast, the rest, the rest of the World Cup. Maybe, yeah, Martin maybe O'Neill, not. Um, Martin O'Neill is, is very confrontational on set. And, and I've seen that, like I said, I was watching a clip from ITV just last week. Um, lead up to the World Cup where he was uh, he went after Cannavaro and, and whoever else was in the studio. I think the other person in the studio was, in, was, 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 uh, was English. But um, he is that way. And, and as I said, that's why he didn't get the England job 12 years ago. When the job went and he was the front runner to get the job is his style. So I, that's going to win over a lot of people. And then Seedorf is just smart, right? He, yeah. he's, he's very analytical in the way he looks at the game. Just think about the kind of player he was, you know, sitting in that number six or number eight role play, seeing the whole field, uh, really one of the great players of his generation in, in European football, won so many Champions Leagues, um, always been on the league teams. He, his, his analysis reflects that. So I have to say, I, I, I am going to watch some Fox because of those two guys. I want to know when those two guys are on. I don't want to turn turn on um show and not see Sadorf and see uh, um, some some clown head. <laughs> but I'm going to try and uh, try and, and watch some of them, and hopefully catch State Orphan and, and Mark O'Neill. Having said that, Kartik, I must say that the the production from Fox has been poor. Not not the not the look and feel, which has been great, but the the the, the, uh, the actual post match. So post match, so ma- so many things have happened. For example, the Brazil Switzerland game. You mean the, the goal that Switzerland scored? Um, was that a foul? You mean obviously yeah. the referee didn't think so, but. But the analysis, so, so for that game, I watched uh, ITV uh, from the UK, and it was fantastic. As soon as the game was over, uh, they did a very quick highlights, and then within 30 seconds, they jumped right in and said, okay, Gary Neville, what do you think about um, Switzerland's uh, goal? Should it have stood? And he went through the whole, I mean, within, within seconds, uh, nope, shouldn't have been a goal. They should have used VAR. Why wasn't VAR used and, and, and really scrutinized that incident? But for so many of the other games, too, there was the um, Amrabat uh, concussion in the Morocco game. Um, post-match wasn't discussed at all. There was the, um, the fourth goal for Russia in the opening game. Post-match right away wasn't discussed at all. It's, a, it's almost as if these things didn't happen. It's almost as if they're so formulaic that they'll do the match do the post-match highlights, which anyone can do, um, and then move right on to the next game. There's, there's no time. They have the time, but they're not uh, choosing to actually spend some time on it, on, on key incidents in the game. And that's the things that soccer fans want to hear. They want to hear the analysis. They, they, they don't want to hear just talking heads. They, the reason those talking heads are there are to analyze what happened. 
to, to give some context, to give some observations, to give some analysis and experience and, and say, okay, in the game, the England game against uh, Tunisia and Kyle Walker, you mean in terms of uh, the, with his back um, standing, you mean, but basically he was turned around. So for that one, I think, which I watched BBC, and uh, it was Rio Ferdinand that went in and discussed uh, Kyle Walker's uh, defending and the mistakes he made. Um, and then looking at, uh, again, looking a lot more closely at VAR. So VAR has been more of a harder topic in the UK, more of a focus, more um, that they've really kind of uh, dived big time into that to find out what's going on. Why is it not, you know, all these rugby tackles you're seeing in games. Why isn't VAR being used for things, things like that? And on Fox, up until now, it, you mean, there's been really no deep dive on that. N- none that I've seen. So... So even even changing a couple of people on the studio set is going to help things, but it's not going to fix things. So they really need to focus on what's important. And, and that's the same thing for a mainstream fan as for a soccer fan. They want to know why. And we're not getting the why from Fox. Yeah. All right, Kartik. Let's, well, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, TV streaming news. I'll have you kick it off. Yeah, the World Cup has been generating impressive TV viewing numbers across the globe. No surprise there. Uh, England, Tunisia on British TV averaged 13.7 million viewers on BBC One. Germany, Mexico on German TV had 26 million viewers on TV channel ZDF. And uh, France had uh, 12.6 million viewers for France-Australia on TF1. The Japan-Colombia match on Japanese television had a household rating of 48.7, peaking at 55.4 toward the end of the match when Japan wrapped up the victory. And Japan is not a football country. Uh, let's keep that in mind uh, when people, uh, not my, this goes back to Lawless' stupid comment two weeks ago about uh, the U.S. being uh, the, the country that's advanced the most in the last 30 years in, in this sport. No, 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 no comparison to anyone. And I just answered with one, one word for Lawless, Japan, and it kicked off this debate. Japan has similar challenges uh, in terms of their fans and their fan base in that country versus what we have in the United States. Very similar situation. uh, 48.7 rating. Think about that, Chris. Wow. Well, the the other one, too, that um, I forgot to mention is Iceland. And Iceland had a 94 rating, uh, meaning that uh, of the TV sets in Iceland, 94% of them were tuned in to watch the Uh Iceland-Argentina game. Actually, no, no, it was ninety six percent. Ninety nine. It was, it was ninety something. Yeah, it was a huge number, and people were asking, like, well, what happened to the other four, four to six percent? Yeah, like, what were they watching? <laughs> watching a, a fishing channel or something? I, I don't know. Meanwhile, in Australia, soccer fans down under have been freaking out due to the legal uh, streaming service crashing during the first few days of the tournament. It was so bad that Australian company Optus Sport allowed TV broadcaster SBS to stream games until the streaming issues could be fixed. So uh, uh, sorry for you guys down under, but uh, hopefully things will uh, be better now. In a story from the USA Today uh, pre- uh, this week, Turtles Martin Rogers reported that Alexi Lawless was confronted by an aggressive and angry fan in Moscow. According to the report, Lawless was shaken up. It was a it was aggressive behavior that went way beyond uh, what someone in his position might usually expect. Uh, was the quote? Yeah, as far as I know, uh, he's 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 okay. He's fine, and um, and that's the thing too. Actually, Fox in one of the uh, interviews that they did before the World Cup uh, talked about the that each of the the Fox crew would have security detail that would be following them around. So, um, so it's it's yeah, awful to hear about. I mean, an aggressive, angry fan confronting him, um, and Lars being shaken up about it. So, um, hopefully, that's just a, an isolated incident, and hopefully, uh, nothing like that happens again. Uh, on the TV rating side, so we've got all of the numbers uh, at worldsoccertalk.com for the World Cup, including a side-by-side comparison between Telemundo and Fox Sports. Um, so far for this World Cup, up until I think the first six days, actually in five days I think it was, uh, the first five days of the tournament, uh, Telemundo is beating uh, Fox, uh, even though that Telemundo is in 65 million homes. Uh, Fox, the over-the-air network, is in 116,000. So almost double, uh, but then FS1, even FS1 is in I think 84 million homes, 
compared to the, um, I think, the 65, 000, uh, 65 million homes that Telemundo's in. So Fox has the advantage in terms of uh, um, having it, the channels in more, a lot more homes than Telemundo, but Telemundo in terms of the average number of fans per game on television and the total number of fans so far, it's Telemundo. Part of the reason is Mexico. And if Mexico goes deep in this tournament, uh, that's going to be a slam dunk for uh, Telemundo. So I'm sure they're hoping for that. 11 million people tuned in uh, across FS1 and Telemundo to watch Mexico against Germany on Sunday. Uh, I watched that game on, I think it was on Telemundo, but um, 11 million, which is actually a a big number. That's a a huge number. And uh, congratulations there to, to Mexico on that win. It was a great game also. And then uh, just one more. I, w- I won't go into all of them, but um, for the Brazil-Switzerland game, which was after that one on Mexico-Germany on Sunday, that one had uh, 8.4 million. And that was on uh, FS1, Telemundo, and NBCSN in Spanish. The NBCSN game, I think for that one, had, I think it was 160,000 viewers. Uh, not a huge number, but definitely helps Telemundo um, in, in their battle against Fox to, to have um, more viewership. Listener mailbag, we went through most of those feedback uh, and comments in the first segment. Let me just scroll through that real fast and see if there was anything else. Um, I think that was about it on the comments side. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, listeners, if you do have any feedback, questions, advice, rants, raves, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. And on Twitter at World Soccer Talk, and plus, of course, you can always post comments on the the main website WorldSoccerTalk.com. We will continue to be back on a weekly basis, uh, providing our analysis and thoughts and observations about the television coverage. Uh, so far, the first week of Fox has been abysmal. Um, the second week, I'm hoping for much uh, greater improvements. Uh, Telemundo has been fantastic. Um, the BBC and ITV have been brilliant, and uh, Univision, I think I watched on the opening day during the halftime commercial show, that was interesting, and uh, ESPN I'm hoping to watch this week um, to catch some of those ESPN uh, Sports Center World Cup edition analysis. The interesting thing about that, Kartik, there's no highlights, and Fox has not allowed ESPN... Yeah. And I'm yeah. sure ESPN would have asked Fox to say, hey, can we have your permission to go ahead and show highlights? Do you remember from the last World Cup? Did, uh, did Fox... ESPN, ESPN gave Fox highlights in the last World Cup. And uh... my, my, one of my sources at ESPN said that, that uh, they're getting uh, 10 to 25% of what they gave last time. Oh, so they are getting some highlights? Some. some. But again, it's, it's like the highlights VN makes... Uh, available for La Liga games, so you're getting ten or twenty five percent of what you request. So you're getting, let's say you're you're doing uh, five different shows, only one of them will have highlights. ESPN FC the last four or five days have, ha- have had no highlights. They started after they weren't getting highlights with still images. Then now they just cut that out, and it's a half an hour of analysis, and it's been quite good. It's actually, um, if anything, it's made even guys like Stuart Robson better because they're being even sharper with their analysis and they have more time to accentuate their points because there's no no highlights. Yeah, sharper is a good word for that too, Carter, because that, that's what we're missing is that sharp analysis. And to me, actually, the timing of ESPN's show, so, I mean, it's six hours of soccer a day just in games alone. And so by mid to late afternoon, you know, four-ish or so, okay, with Fox, you kind of get getting tired of that. You want to take a break. And ESPN's timing, if they can get a 5.30 ESPN2 Sports Center World Cup edition on every night consistently, I think that's perfect timing. It gives a chance to take a break, you know, have a snack, do whatever you want to do, and then watch that. Because it, it, in order to wait until, like, what, like 10.30, 11 o'clock, midnight for the Fernando Fiore freak show, it's not worth it. You I mean, by that point, it's like, okay, the, the day's over, especially on the, on the East Coast. So, um, right, and you, have, you have Taylor Tolman on with Scott Van Pelt generally. Now, the issue with ESPN, obviously, always is that they have live events that bleed into the sports center programming. So it gets pushed back and preempted. And those of us that are soccer fans that don't follow some of these other sports, I, you and I are both kind of unaware of what's going on sometimes and, and get stunned when we set the DVR and the thing doesn't tape and yeah. it's taping the baseball game instead. But, 
Um, that happened yesterday, by the way, with, with uh, the ESPN FC Russia edition. But generally, the Sports Center at 11 o'clock with Scott Van Pelt, Taylor Foreman will be on. Generally, Taylor will be on a show in the morning on ESPN, one of their talking head shows. Uh, and uh, generally, there will be either a Sports Center or an ESPN FC show. 5, 5.30 or whenever uh, they're permitted based on live programming bleeding in, but late afternoon, early evening. So that's those are generalities. You can't necessarily sit there watch by it, but ESPN is uh, more or less in those time frames offering alternatives to, to, to what you're getting out of box. Definitely good, uh, good to know there, Kartik. And, and of ESPN Deporters, I haven't watched, and uh, BN Sports, I haven't watched. And I'm, I'm sure that they have coverage too in terms of some analysis, Maybe some highlights also, perhaps. I'm not sure, but uh, there's some other options too to consider. So thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. Plus, you can, you can uh, talk to it from your Google Home and say, Hey, Google, play the World Soccer Talk podcast. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. In Kartik, going into the second week of the World Cup, what should they do? Enjoy your football. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 